You know, the, uh, the Bible says that uh, it makes a difference how we live today. Kind of tying in with what Jeff was saying earlier is that uh, we, have, uh, we have the opportunity to come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior through faith. Um, the simple gospel truth is that if, if anyone will come in faith, in simple dependence upon God, to Him and say, I need you. I cannot face this life. I cannot face the end of my life. I don't know what's happening afterwards. I believe that God loves me and that Jesus came to die for my sins and I receive Him as my personal Savior. When we do that, we have, the Bible says, the assurance of eternal life. We have the assurance of our sins forgiven. We have the assurance of God living within our very bodies. Um, but God's desire is to give us more than an eternal insurance policy. His desire in bringing us to himself is to raise up a family of children like his son Jesus. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that whom he did foreknow, he did predestine to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What does that mean? That means that God's desire in bringing us to himself is that we would become like Jesus. And that's really what we're, all, what we're here on earth for, is that we're to become like Jesus and to help other people to know and become like Jesus. That's our purpose here on earth. If that were not our purpose, then God might as well just take us right on up to heaven as soon as we ask Jesus to be our Savior. Because there's really no other reason to be here. God didn't leave us here on earth so that we could you know, win the lottery or something like that. God left us here on earth so that we can become like Jesus and help other people to know and become like him. So it makes a difference how we live day after day. Now, God knows that there's difficulties, there's struggles that we go through. There's, <clears throat> because we're in this human flesh, because we have a, a, a habit patterns that we've developed in the past, there's a tendency to kind of move in that same area. But uh, God wants us to, to intentionally change. And he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us to do that. <clears throat> and he's given us some motivation as well. And we've been talking for the last three weeks, now four today, about rewards, getting ready to meet Jesus. And uh, as I've sought to open the scriptures with you and to discover what they say about what will, we will, what will occur when we see Jesus, I've become concerned about something. I'm afraid that we might say that this is very interesting information and be intrigued by it, but not actually motivated to actually change the way, the way that we are living so that we can be ready to meet Jesus. What I'm saying is this. I believe that there's a real danger that we might be pleased to know what the Bible has to say about heaven, but not do anything about getting ready to be there. My purpose in studying and preaching about this subject is that we would become changed individuals and become a different congregation. If we all hear these sermons and simply say that they are really helping us to understand what the Bible has to say about an important subject, but we're not motivated to change we, the way we live in order that we can be better prepared to meet Jesus, then I'm failing. I'm not preaching to tickle ears, but to change lives, mine included. 
My motive is that we would be less attracted to the passing things of this world and more attracted to the Savior who loves us and gave himself for us. Oh, that we would begin each day with the prayer and the plan to use all of our resources to get ready for the day we individually stand before Jesus and hear his evaluation of how we lived. I think that there's a tendency to think, well, you know, I've got my eternal insurance policy. I'm on my way to heaven, and I know that heaven's going to be good. I just feel confident that it's going to be good. And whatever may happen at the beginning, you know, at, you know, however I may have failed in this life, it's going to be really insignificant. It's really not going to make that much difference because I'm going to be in heaven. And I'd like to disabuse you of that this morning. I think that it is necessary to remind ourselves again that it may be an emotionally painful experience to stand before Jesus for you or for me. And if, we're not, if, we, if we are not preparing daily for that time. I don't like to talk about this. I like to talk about happy things. I'd rather be, you know, the church of happy things, you know? <laughs> But there's some things that are, that are, that are reality that we, need to, that we need to look uh, soberly at what God has to say. So let me just remind you of these scriptures. I'll put them up here in front of you so you can see them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I told you there's a Greek word for that. It's called bima. So when you hear me say bima, that stands for judgment seat of Christ. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what, these, what he has done, whether good or bad. We're going to be paid back for what we've done. If we've done poorly, we're going to receive payment for that. If, we re- if we've done well, we're going to receive payment for that. When we stand and see Jesus face to face. Now immediately, as I've said, there's questions that go off in our minds. You know, these alarm bells go, oh, wait a minute. How could there be anything bad about heaven? Well, you have to understand that heaven doesn't occur for a thousand years until we, after we see Jesus. When we come before Jesus, the Bible says that then Jesus is going to set up a rule on earth. At least this is what I believe the scripture t- says, and this is what I teach. Uh, there are some good people who disagree, and I, don't, and I still love them and, and uh, fellowship with them. But I believe that this is what the Bible says. That when Jesus returns, he's going to come to earth, he's going to set up a kingdom on earth, and he's going to rule with a rod of iron. And uh, that's all the scriptures that talk about how the lion will lie down with a lamb and, and a little child will lead them and uh, there will be peace on earth and it will be nearly heaven on earth because we'll have a righteous ruler and he won't put up with any messing around. If you do what's wrong, you pay the price. During that time, the Bible says people who will live a long time, somebody who dies at 100 will consider, be considered to have died as a young, a young person. So it'll be extended lifespans, there will be uh, peace on earth. The animal kingdom will get along with uh, one another and with, the, and with us. And Jesus will rule righteously. The Bible says at the end of that thousand years that Satan is going to be loosed for a short time. And he will uh, gather people around him and form a rebellion against Christ and his, and, uh, his uh, government. And uh, he will be crushed. And then will happen the great white throne judgment and then all those who have not believed in Jesus will be sent to the lake of fire and will be judged on their way there. The Bema occurs at the beginning 
of that thousand year reign of Christ, the Bible says, and that there will be, before the eternal state, there will be thousand years. And many Bible scholars teach that, you know, that the rewards are for those thousand year period. And, I, and, and if you're like me, I've thought about, okay, thousand years, thousand years compared to eternity, not very long, you know, it's over in a, in a hurry. So even if I do poorly here on earth, uh, you know, and I don't get the chance to reign with Christ in the, in the, uh, in the millennial kingdom, uh, when the eternal state comes and, and the new heaven and the new earth are, are created, the new heaven, Jerusalem comes down to earth, um, and we walk on streets of gold and all those kind of things, then it won't make any difference. As a matter of fact, I think that there are some who believe that God's going to do kind of a, a memory wipe. <laughs> you know, just kind of, nobody will remember anything from the past and, and everything will be new and uh, we'll have new identities. and so, You know, the, the scriptures just doesn't in, don't indicate that. It's clear to me, and I want to give you evidence of that this morning, that while we live, how you and I live today and tomorrow and this coming week and this year and until the end of our lives will make a difference throughout all eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 says, if any man's work is burned up, and it's talking about, there's an allegorical uh, uh, teaching on, on that, that judgment, as though the, the eyes of Christ were looking with fire at us. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he, shall, he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that um, you know, when we each one of us individually stand before Jesus and we're judged, uh, the things that are good will last, the things that are not will be burned up, and, and there will be Christians who will be ready to enter eternity with the shirt on their back, basically. And they will suffer loss. Suffer is pain. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. The apostle Paul, we think, well, man, here's, here's a wonderful man of God. Certainly things are going to be great in heaven for him. And yet he said, I need to keep disciplining myself. I need to keep my, keep, not allow my body to, not allow myself to become enslaved to the desires and passions of my body, but I make it my slave. By the act of my will and by prayer and by dependence upon the Lord, I make my body my slave so that after having preached to other people, I myself might not lose the prize. That's what he's saying. Fail the test. And then this passage from from, uh, the Apostle John, Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may, have, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Doesn't say we have to go out and build cities. Doesn't say we have to go out and preach on the street corners. It says abide in him. Just stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Walk with him. Walk that walk of faith and trust with him. Do the things, the simple things that he's taught us to do. Love God with all your heart soul and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. God has not made it complicated. He's made it simple. He's, he's not made it complex. Maybe like I've done, you've heard the scripture and sung the song that says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the, kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And you thought, I'm not interested in being great in God's kingdom. I'm satisfied with just being there. Do I believe that we'll live with eternal regret if we don't make the most of our time here on earth? 
I don't know. I haven't seen any scripture that would tell me one way or the other. These scriptures certainly indicate that there will be embarrassment and a sense of loss for some, perhaps many Christians, when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the scriptures do not seem to indicate that there will be some sort, as I said, some sort of memory wipe. Certainly the Bible says that God will wipe every tear from our eyes, but it does not say he'd wipe our memories clean. Is it inconsistent with the assurance of no more tears to say that we may occasionally feel a pang of regret throughout, etern- throughout all of eternity? I don't know. But I don't want to risk it. I don't want you to risk it either. So I'm going to keep on trying to work diligently to walk with Jesus and to do His will and encourage you to do the same. Because frankly, I've got to give an account before God for what I'm teaching you. And I take that seriously. The scripture says, let not many of you be teachers, knowing as such you will incur a stricter judgment. So when you stand up to teach, remember that God's got a different standard by which he's going to judge you. And um, I could take that lightly and say, well, it's not that big a deal, I'm going to heaven anyway. But then I'm denying what the scripture says. And the scripture says, don't let many of you become teachers. Because you're going to be judged by a higher standard. Not because you're better, but because you presume to stand up in front of people and tell them, here's what God says. I'm not trying to scare you about heaven, but I am trying to make sure that not one of us wastes the time that we have to prepare for eternity. And I'm highly motivated to make sure that as a congregation, we do everything that we can to be the force that God wants us to be in this community. And that will happen when each one of us are individually being diligent to get ready to meet Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Make the most of your time. Now, while the Bible may not be explicit as how long some of us may feel the shame of embarrassment or the pain of loss, it is explicit about how long we will feel the joy of the rewards we are given. God promises you and me the opportunity to receive eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. Let me me defend that, okay? Let's go to the Scriptures. Just two things and four passages. One, the scriptures tell us that we can be awarded a great and glorious entrance into eternity. The scriptures tell us that we can be awarded a great and glorious entrance into eternity. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And you're familiar with, I think, some of that. Blessed are the poor in in spirit, for they shall uh, see God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Uh, Then it comes down to the last one, and it says in verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad. 
for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's break that down just a little bit. He says, happy are you, spiritually prosperous. You are among the blessed people if you are among those who are insulted, who are persecuted, and who are maligned for your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if somebody insults you because you, you are uh, dressed funny or somebody insults you because of some other reason or somebody uh, maligns you or is malicious in their speech or, uh, towards you, for reasons other than your identification with Jesus Christ, then that's not what this passage is talking about. If you're doing things that are stupid and people make fun of you for that, that's not what this passage is talking about. What he's saying is if people make fun of you, make, try to make your life miserable by what they say and do because of your alignment with Jesus Christ, because you have identified yourself as, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've given my life to him. I've given evidence that by, by going through the waters of baptism. And I've identified myself with him. And I don't care who knows. I'm going on public display of being a follower of Jesus Christ. If because of that, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, if because of that, there are people who, who make fun of you or try to make your life miserable, Jesus said, blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad. I did a little study on those words because I, when I see rejoice and be glad, I think, okay, what's the difference between rejoice and be glad? And uh, rejoice, the word that's, that's translated rejoice there is, is, the, is, is what he's saying basically is be comforted. You know, people are trying to make your life miserable, be comforted. Find comfort in this fact. Find comfort because you know that you're, among, you're in good company because they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These godly men and women who you look back in history and say, wow, they were really special people. You're in good company, so be comforted with regard to that. And then he says, be glad, and, and literally what that means is, be exuberant, jump for joy, because you're part of that group. Because your reward in heaven is great. Now, I have to distinguish that words mean something, and, and so there's going to be some who get rewards, and then there's going to be some who get great rewards. And it's in heaven. So I think it's saying that there are going to be rewards in heaven. There's going to be different degrees of rewards, and, there, and that's where you're going to receive them, in God's presence. Now, that will begin at, the, at the, uh, the, the millennial reign of Christ, but it will go on, and I'll show you some more scriptures that talk about that. But there's the potential of not only having rewards, there's the potential of having great rewards. Going to a second passage of Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a little more difficult. If you, again, if you've got a Bible, turn there. 2 Peter, it's right after 1 Peter. Which is right after James. Okay. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Interesting, Peter is just a simple fisherman, right? We all know who Peter is. He's the, the simple fisherman who seemed to suffer from the foot and mouth disease and, and, uh, and yet, and, and in his book he writes uh, in the back, uh, well, in the back of his book, uh, in, in the end of Second Peter, he says, you know, Paul wrote some letters uh, 
that people try to distort as they do the rest of the scriptures. And some of the things Paul wrote are really difficult to understand, Peter says. And for, if you've taken time to read the book, the letters of First and Second Peter, you'll find, I'll tell you some of the things he said are really hard to understand as well. So here he's talking about the fact that some of Paul's things are hard to understand, some of the things Peter says are hard to understand, and they require some diligence to really, to really come to an understanding of what they mean. But he's talking about in the first chapter of, of Second Peter here, and, and we've been going through this list with the youth for the last couple of months in our uh, youth Bible study, talking about character, character that we should have. He says, uh, uh, verse 5, For this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, uh, supply moral excellence. And in your uh, moral excellence, supply knowledge. And in your knowledge, supply self-control. And in your self-control, supply per- perseverance. And in your perseverance, supply godliness. And in your godliness, supply brotherly love. And in your brotherly love, supply Christian love. He's saying, Here's what you need to work at. You've, you've, you've come to Jesus Christ in faith. Now you've got faith. There's, that's just simply a dependence upon God. Now, build on that, he says. So build on that faith, and, and, and what you need to do is build layer by layer. And, and on that faith, build virtue. Virtue. It's an old-fashioned thing, you know, just doing what's right. So build on that. And then he says, as you build on it with virtue, then, then add to that... Uh, uh, knowledge understand what the scriptures have to say build on that with knowledge and then build on that with uh, uh, self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly love and, and Christian love build on those things apply diligence supply these things to your life and don't supply them in just minimal qualities the word that's used here indicates that we need to supply them with abundance you know so so you know don't just do it on Sunday morning but do it all throughout the week. Work at, your, at developing your relationship with Christ. Work at developing character in your life. F- Paul says in, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Get involved and grow in Christ. P- Peter, at the end of his letter, says in 2 Peter 3, 18, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Get involved and do stuff that will help you to become the person that God wants you to be. Apply diligence. It's an old-fashioned word, but it just means hard work. Work hard at becoming what God wants you to be. And, skipping down to verse 10, that's the ones I have up there for you. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, the list that we just read through, you will not stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Saying if you work at developing this character in your life, that not just touches doesn't just touch your life, but touches other people's lives as well, brotherly kindness and love. Uh, your entrance into the eternal kingdom will be abundantly supplied. It's kind of a play on words here that you don't really recognize, perhaps, is that if you supply these characteristics to your life, God will abundantly supply your entrance into the kingdom of he- into the kingdom of heaven. He says, I will match you a hundred times over. 
Jesus said in the Gospels. What you give and the work and effort that you put forward will be multiplied many times over in, in eternity. If I were standing up here and telling you how you could make a bundle of money by investing it wisely, there would be some ears that would be pricked. You'd say, wow, let me hear more about this. I can make a lot of money by not investing very much. We get interested in those kind of things because we're motivated by that. And what God is saying is by working at developing Christ-like character in your life, by abiding in Christ, by loving your neighbor as yourself, you have the opportunity of having multiplied blessings in heaven. Okay, well, that's your entrance into heaven. So we've talked about that. Now let's move on to the second point that I have. The Scriptures tell us that the glory of the rewards we receive in heaven will never fade. I have two scriptures, scriptures to share with you. The glory of the rewards that we receive in heaven will never fade. You know how when you get something new, it's always real exciting. You know, a new car has a new car smell. You know, you get a new computer and it's just faster than anything you'd seen before. Uh, you get uh, uh, whatever it is. New is nice, you know? New is nice. But after a while, it loses its glory. It loses, uh, you know, it breaks, it tarnishes, it, uh, it gets out of date. You've know, you got to replace it with something else. The rewards that God will hand out in heaven, we will never become bored with them. We'll never say, oh, I'm tired of that. It will always be a wonder to us. It will always be a source of joy to us. We will never tire of them. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. So focus on the things that are eternal. Paul says elsewhere in Colossians chapter 3, if you've been risen with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Paul says if we focus on these things that are not seen, that is the souls of men and women, that is God who is not present. Focus on those things. Then God will give to us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Remember back in the 80s, people used to say, well, boy, that's really heavy. Remember that? <laughs> that's really heavy. Uh, same kind of an idea here. Is it, that, is, that is really, uh, uh, it, it's, it's awesome. It's, uh, it's difficult to compare it to anything else. As a matter of fact, the word that, the, the expression that's here is, uh, it says, is translated in my translation is uh, far beyond comparison. And the word, the expression that's actually used in the, in the original language says measureless 
from measureless to measureless. It's hard to, it's hard to put that into English. From measureless to measureless, beyond the ability to be measured. We think about the universe. You know, with the, with the best telescopes we have, we can look out into the universe and we can see, uh, you know, a long ways. Have we been able to see the end of the universe? Have we been able to see the outside of it? No, we haven't. We don't even know if there is an outside of the universe. We think because it's material that, there, that it must be finite and it must be someplace way out there where it comes to an end. But as far as we know, it's measureless, as far as we can tell. And what he's saying here is that the reward that God wants to give you, the eternal weight of glory, is beyond measuring. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something worth having. It's, it, would, it, it would not be consistent to just simply say, oh, no big deal. The scripture is, is indicating to you and me that it is a big deal. Last passage that I want to look at is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is in an, in an athletic context that Paul is speaking. Talking about the, the games, which uh, became the Olympic Games. I think they were called the Ith. Isthmus games or something like that. Uh, verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Now I know that to be in the Olympics is an honor. You know that people come back from the Olympics and say, wow, that was really a great experience. I got to run in the Olympics. I have a friend, uh, I haven't seen him for a long time, a, a former friend, a friend of mine who was Nigerian who, when he was growing up, he used to look up into the sky from his mud hut where he lived in the in central plains of Nigeria, and he saw jet planes going over, and he thought, I want to fly on a jet plane. So he tried out for the Nigerian Olympics team, and he ran the 400 meters in the uh, Munich and the Mexico City Olympics. Mexico City and Munich Olympics. And, uh, you know, I think that was a great honor. He got to run in the Olympics. But... People go to run in the Olympics to win. You know, and you don't hear people on, on television being interviewed after the race and saying, I was in the race. You know, they're interviewed and they talk about winning the race and how much they want to win the race. And he's, the Apostle Paul says here, you know, you're in the race because you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, but don't be satisfied with that. Run in such a way that you can win. And the, and the, the interesting thing that here is that is that uh, you need to have the motivation of somebody who recognizes that only one is going to win. Now, as I read the scriptures, we can all win. But we need to run in such a way that we're going to win. And what that means is, as he goes on to say here, is that uh, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So you, you, you train and you do everything that you can. You know, you don't eat what you're not supposed to eat. You make sure you get enough rest and you give enough time to practice and, and uh, training. Uh, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. There it is. Imperishable. Will not decay. Will not fade away. It's ours forever. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I got a goal I'm working toward. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I make sure that all my strokes count. 
I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I was talking with a pastor friend of mine this past week, and we were talking about this subject. I said, we always talk about what we're preaching on. So I was telling him about what I've been preaching on. And he has not really done much study on the subject of rewards. As As I mentioned to you last week, there just hasn't been much study that's been done on the subject of rewards. You can find, go to, the, go to the Christian bookstore and say, I'd like to buy a book on rewards. See what they come up with. It's just not there. It's a, it's a major topic in Scripture, but, but somehow or another, people have just not looked at it. And so his attitude to me as we were talking was, you know, that just doesn't motivate me. I'm motivated by the love of Christ. I'm motivated to, because of what he's done for me. And that's fine. You know, if, if rewards don't motivate you, God has given you two other motivations, I believe. He's given you love, his love for you, and he's given you a fear, you know. What may happen if you don't? There are legitimate motivations to believe in Jesus as your Savior. You don't want to go to hell? That's why I asked Jesus to be my Savior, because I didn't want to go to hell. And there's a lot of people who receive Christ as their Savior because they don't want to go to hell. There are other people who receive Christ as their Savior because... Uh, and, and, and seek to follow him because they're just so amazed by his love. Other people are motivated by the, the fact that God is offering you something at the end. And I think we can be motivated by all three. I think the Apostle Paul uh, was motivated by all three, but clearly this was a motivation for him. He says, I, I'm trying to fine-tune the way I live so that I don't miss, any, that I don't miss a beat And that would, be our, that would be my goal, and I pray that it would be your goal. It, perfection is not the goal. But the goal is to become, day by day, more what God wants us to be. It's not where we arrive, it's, how, it's getting there. None of us will arrive until we see Jesus. But we need to be working at getting there. So it's not our job to look around and judge how everybody else is doing. Our job is to, is to ask ourselves and to ask the Spirit of God, how am I doing? The apostle, uh, who is it? In, uh, in Galatians chapter 6, he says, um, we need to each bear our own load. We each got a load to bear. And uh, if any man thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Galatians 6 says. So just do the job. Don't compare yourself with other people. Compare yourself with where you've been and what you're doing and how, you, how you're doing in the process. The Apostle Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, I don't even judge myself. I'm not adequate to do that. It's the Lord who judges me. So that's why the psalmist says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me. Say, God, how am I doing? Show me if I need to make changes. Keep those short accounts with God. Let's go into training, Okay. Let's go into training for seeing Jesus face to face. In a very brief time, by eternal standards, all of our lives will be over. By eternal standards, very brief time, we'll all be in the grave or in Jesus' presence. James chapter 4 says, You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So we got just a little bit of time left. You know, for some of us who are younger, we may have 70 or 80 years left. 
For some of us who are a little older, we may have 30 or 40 years left, and maybe less. But even if we live to be 105, our lives are like a vapor. They're gone in an instant compared to eternity. So make the most of the time. I've mentioned to you this before, and I, I found a little, there was a little poem that was up on my wall when I was a kid growing up, a little glow-in-the-dark plaque, and it said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I found a little poem that expands on that. I want to read it to you. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before His judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its days I must fulfill, living for self or in His will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all. Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Lord, we know that uh, your word is true when it says our lives are just like a fleeting vapor, like a wisp of wind that's here for a moment and then gone. And those of us who, have, who would count that we're past the halfway point in our lives can certainly attest to that and say, man, it's, it's going awful fast. Those who are younger, we know what it's like. It seems like life will go on forever. Lord, help us, whether young or old, or somewhere in between, to remember there's only one life, and that it indeed will soon be passed. We have no guarantee of tomorrow, 
We must live today as though it's our final day. We must prepare for a life, a lifelong experience of walking with you and yet make the most of this day. We think of the words of, of Solomon, Lord, who said, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. And we just pray for our young people here this morning, Lord, that they would see an example in us, that they would hear words from us who, that, that, that say and demonstrate, Live for Jesus now. Get close to Him. Because it's going to make a difference in eternity. Help us, Lord, to live differently because of what you've taught us today. Help me to live differently so that we can be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to conclude with a the hymn that Connie was just playing. It's an, it's an old one. Well, that looks kind of hard to see, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, anybody here know this one that she was just playing, Only One Life? Okay, two of us, all right? <laughs> Let's sing out strong, Rick, okay? Let's stand and sing this together. It's three verses. I think you'll catch on. Listen to the words. Only one life to offer, Jesus my Lord and King. Only one tongue to praise Thee, and of Thy mercy sing. Only one heart's devotion, Savior, O Consecrated alone to thy matchless glory, yielded fully to thee. Only this hour is mine, Lord, may it be used for thee. May every passing moment count for eternity souls all about are dying dying in sin and shame help me bring them the message of calvary's redemption in thy glorious only one life to offer take it dear lord i pray nothing from thee withholding thy will i now obey thou who has freely given thine all in Claim this life for thine own to be used, my 
this is our prayer. Help us to count our days. Teach us to number our days that we might be wise. Help us not to be like those foolish people who don't see the future, but just live for now. Help us to be wise and understand that there is, it will make a difference how we live today, that our joy will be increased if we live wholeheartedly for you today. Help us not to grow weary in well-doing, but to keep pressing on. When we stumble and fall, cry out to you and, and uh, take your hand as it reaches out to us. Stand up in your forgiveness and, and keep pressing on to find encouragement as we link arms with one another and do the job that you've called us to do. So that someday together we might uh, stand in, in, in glory and applause and, 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 and wonder as we congratulate each other for living our lives for you today. We look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.